Now it's time for Inspirational Women and my guest, Ilana K. Arnold, whose new book, The Blood Years, about her grandmother's life in World War II Romania, Surviving the Holocaust, will help us consider the destruction and waste of war and conflicts in general. Ilana K. Arnold, good morning, and thank you so greatly for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here. And I'm grateful that we have this opportunity to have a conversation about your latest book, The Blood Years, just freshly out, uh, a young adult novel, but certainly not just for young adults. I think anyone of any age uh, will really find the story to be gripping, certainly relevant, and, uh, and also very important. Would you agree? I absolutely would, yes. I I hope that this book reaches as wide an audience as possible. While I write books about the teenage experience, I very much think that all books are for all people. So I certainly hope that the um, slightly lower price point won't stop full-fledged adults from picking up a copy. (laughs) Definitely. And and they, they, we, all of us, really need to experience the story. It's historical fiction. I personally really appreciate uh, historical fiction because I I think that in it we really get the story but are able to just, um, you as the writer, you move it along for us, I I guess, differently than delving into the deep history that that really can sometimes um, just pull us down, uh, slow us down. This keeps us moving in, in terms of a story. Thank you. That was one of the main challenges of of writing this book. It's a um, deeply researched story based on my grandmother's teenage years in Chernovitz, Romania during the Holocaust. So it's a story I grew up with um, cyclically. She would tell me the funny parts first, like, you know, the time she was chased by geese in the countryside and uh, how her terrible, wonderful older sister um, was just this driving force in their life, and she was sort of her shadow. In fact, my grandmother truly was born to be her sister's keeper. Uh, that part of the book is true. She, her, um, her mother was beside herself and took her older sister to the doctor and said, what do I do with this kid? She's too much. And the doctor said, lady, have another kid as fast as you can to keep her company or she'll be the death of you. <laughs> and that was when my grandmother was conceived. So there's the personal, but then the historical is so multifaceted and complicated. What was going on? in Chernovitz, Romania, which is now Chernovitz, Ukraine, uh, before and during um, the World War II and the Holocaust. So trying to make those things braid together um, was, was a challenge. And you said your your grandmother shared the story with you over time uh, and starting with the with the funny pieces of it. Eventually, I guess, as she felt you were old enough to understand as you were a, a young adult yourself, she could tell you more of the true story of what happened. Yeah, my grandmother was a wise woman in many ways. And one of the ways that she was incredibly wise was that Minna would answer any question I asked honestly, um, but would then wait for me to ask a follow-up question um, to give me more information. Um, And in that way, I got to sort of lead the way a little bit on how much I wanted to know about her real lived experience and the trauma that she endured uh, throughout the war years. Um, but she never said, you're too young to know that. She never said, I'll tell you that when you're older. Uh, she would tell me the truth in plain, short sentences and wait to see if I asked follow-up questions. And when I was done asking, uh, we would take out the deck of cards and play gin rummy or have a cup of tea. 
So I always knew that she, uh, you know, we were Jewish and that she endured the Holocaust and that some of her family didn't make it through. Um, but it was when I asked for more details that she gave them to me. And then certainly after I became a published writer, I think she felt um, even more open about sharing her story. She delighted in, in my career and was very proud of me as a writer. And I think I read somewhere that she she said if you ever wrote about this, uh, she knew what you, the, her favorite name would be for the book. Yes, my nana's name was Frida, but she said if you if you you know write about me, call her Frederica. I've always liked that name. So my character's name is Frederica Teitler. My grandmother was Frida Teitler, and her sister in the book is Ostra, and in real life her name was Ostrid. So I didn't deviate far um, from the true names, and in the in the back of the book, there are photos of um, all four of the main um, people that the book is inspired by. Which is, again, such a gift for us to uh, be able to put that human piece of it. You know, these uh, old photographs, we can tell the, the quality of it, that it really takes mm -hmm. us back to that time. Your yeah. grandmother, you said she was wise, and, and, I, and I thought that... Um, as I was reading the the book, this marvelous book, and Frederica, am I saying that right, Frederica? Yes, Frederica, yes. yeah, and Frederica. her family calls her Rika in the book. Rika, yes. I thought, you know, for this young girl, she is so wise. She is just amazing beyond her years. And uh, And I think in that way, your grandmother regarded you that way as well. You know, I think that's absolutely true. My grandmother and I have a lot in common. And one of the things is uh, we both, I think, have a core belief. She had that children are whole people. Um, our job is not to sort of shroud their ignorance, but rather to be honest with them and delighted by them um, and share with them. And so I think that's something I do in my work for young people always. And I think it's reflected in this character, especially. It was a real challenge with this character because, of course, the grandmother I knew, you know, by the time I was, like, aware of her being a person, by the time I was, you know, cognizant of myself being a person, I was probably six years old. And so she was, you know, close to 60. Um, and so trying to imagine the character as a young teen and not infuse her, the character's voice, with too much sort of um, knowledge of how things turned out was a real challenge. In fact, it took me 10 years and seven complete drafts to, to feel like I had found the balance between um, the grandmother I knew and the imagined character I had to sort of weave in alongside the real stuff. Oh, that is amazing. Of course, and your grandmother is no longer with us, right? No, and honestly, I think that's one of the reasons I was able to finally finish this book is uh, it's one thing to sort of theoretically write a story about the person you love most in the world uh, enduring unendurable things. But it's another thing to do it knowing that that person is probably going to read it or is definitely going to read it. She read every word I wrote. So uh, I actually got stalled. Um, I mean, I would rather have my grandmother than the book a thousand million times over. But I do think that I couldn't really write it while she was still here. Of course, that meant that I didn't have her anymore to fact check um, when I finally was able to finish, um, you know, the third or fourth draft. And so... Um, and, and like I said, the book is my grandmother's story, but no one person's life can really be an entire novel. A novel is a, is a piece of art that weaves together the real plus the what if. And so alongside my grandmother's story, there are bits and pieces of 
dozens of other Holocaust victims and survivors from the Chernivtsi region as well as the greater Eastern European region. I did a huge amount of research. It was deeply important to me that I didn't play with the Holocaust and make up bad stuff to happen to my characters. Yes. Every trauma, every um, major sacrifice in this book is based on either my grandmother's lived experience or something that I found in my extensive research and then fictionalized. Even the dreams in this book are taken from a collection of dreams that Jews were having in the early years of the Holocaust that were written down by a, uh, a psychiatry student and snuck out of Germany. They weren't published until the 60s. Um, so my character's dreams are based on those dreams. Oh, this is even further an incredible gift, an important read because of that history that uh, some people want to squash and say never yes. happened, but but we know it did. And and to to really, some of us do. <laughs> I guess that is qualified. Yes, yeah. because there are those who who just wanted are deniers that this did yeah. not happen, which is incomprehensible, given all that has been written and you know the research you could do. What were yeah. you doing? Reading fiction. Yeah. So there. Uh, before I answer that, yes, there are deniers, but there's also I realize just a huge percentage of our young population who's just completely ignorant. You know, they're mm. not denying it. They just have never heard of it. Uh, I was on a book tour last week, uh, and I was at some, you know, I met with some groups of eighth graders, like two, uh, 200 or more eighth graders. And as I was telling them the story, I saw that the look on the faces looked kind of blank. And so I said, let me stop for a second and ask you, mm. how many of you have heard of the Holocaust? And I would say about one out of every three hands went up. And so... That was shocking to me. Although I've heard that that's true, I hadn't really seen it in a large group of, of young people, uh, just the lack of education, which is why I think, too, the current sort of movement to keep kids ignorant by banning and removing titles from the libraries even more insidious and dangerous. Um, these kids don't even have to deny the Holocaust. They've never even heard of it. Um, so that was really shocking and uh, disturbing. As someone, for me, it was just part of the the fabric of my life, you know, I never yes. didn't know about the Holocaust. It was, it had a seat at the table, whether we liked it or not. Yes. Um, as far as the research went, yes, I read everything I could get my hand on, uh, hands on primary sources as much as I could. I read memoirs written by uh, Jewish people from Chernovitz, Romania, uh, most notably a book called Ruth's Journey, which is a memoir written by a woman named Ruth Glassberg Gold. Uh, who happens to very luckily still be alive at 93. After I read her book, I wrote to her and asked her if I could hire her to be a reader for me. Mm -hmm. And to my great delight and absolute luck, she agreed. And we have become dear friends mm -hmm. over the last several years of working uh, with this book. I hope everyone picks up a copy of her memoir as well, Ruth's Journey uh, by Ruth Glassberg Gold. I also read fiction and poetry that came out of the region. I read um, PhD dissertations about you know, what happened in Romania historically. I read textbooks about the region. Um, I read, I listened to just dozens of testimonials um, from the Holocaust Memorial Museum's website uh, about people who lived in that specific area and people who lived in the greater, you know, Romanian, Ukrainian area as well. Oh, that is such a wealth of historical information for us. Uh, yeah. So, 
again, you know, just underscoring that have reading this book, The Blood Years, and thank you for mentioning that we should pick up a copy of Ruth's Journey and and, and the lovely relationship that you've had with yeah. Ruth. She's your uh, adopted Nana. She is. She is. It's, you know, if I could just talk about Ruth for a second. One thing I didn't realize about my Nana, Frida, was how specific her accent was. It was just my Nana's accent, but it was unlike any other accent. And I realize now it's because this area was very special. So it was part of the Austria-Hungarian uh, Empire um, before she was born. And then it was gifted to Romania in world, after World War I. And so she was raised speaking Romanian in school, German at home, Yiddish, some Hebrew. Um, also, she spoke Ruthenian with the local peasants who would come into the city to sell their wares. Then the Russians came, which is a big part of this book, and everybody had to speak Russian basically overnight. So a little bit of a Russian accent was layered in. And then, of course, the Nazi Germans came, and, you know, um, then German was the language. But at that point, my family was um, had bigger things to worry about than what the language on the street was. So her accent was so regionally specific. And it wasn't until the first time I spoke with Ruth on the phone, and she picked up the phone, and she said hello to me. And it was this gift from the universe. It was my grandmother's accent given back to me, this very specific regional accent. Um, it was really a miracle to hear her accent again. And I just got off the phone with Ruth a couple of days ago. I sent her the very first copy of this book. And she told me that, um, that I have put Chernovitz on the map and immortalized it. And she said um, that she thought it was as if I had been there, which, you know, no bigger you know, it doesn't really matter what the reviews or the awards are. Uh, hearing that from Ruth was the biggest prize I can imagine. I still won all the awards, by the way, and all the reviews. But <laughs> <laughs> but then Ruth's it, it voice was was the gift. And, and that's the thing uh, for us is that this her uh, what kind of exclamation mark on it just shows yeah. how you really captured it and how we can feel like we are really getting a, a front row seat, not that we wanted to be there, but we can get yeah. that understanding of what went on. Yeah, I yeah. certainly, I think I did a good job. I it, I had a wonderful editor and he was very patient with me uh, and it took a long time to get it right. But I, there really is nothing more satisfying than doing the best job you can um, with something so incredibly important and precious. So yeah, I, I, I do. I feel satisfied. I feel like I did right by my Nana, and I did the very best I could. Well, it is truly just a, such a gripping story, and to have have it in her uh, teenage years, and as you said, talking to the, these age groups, to have us realize, yes, the world can be tough right now, but oh my gosh. You know, what happened during those war years, and I thought, surely we learned we will never repeat that again. But if they don't know this happened, that's why we see so much of the hate perhaps surfacing, because they think it's just something uh, that's happening today. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what happened in Chernovitz, too. Uh, People wonder, like, Romania killed more Jews than any other country during the Holocaust in Germany. But people aren't really aware of that. Romania did a pretty good job of erasing uh, as much as they could the culpability that they had. Uh, they also changed sides, so they were, you know, allied with the Germans, but then they, you know, switched kind of at the ninth hour to ally with the Allies, and they sort of framed themselves historically as having been on the good side, but they weren't necessarily. And the thing about about Jewish hate 
and violence against Jews is that Hitler didn't make it up. You know, um, anti-Semitism was not um, created by Hitler. It was channeled and magnified. Um, but it was there just waiting uh, to be ignited. And it's cyclical. Uh, pogroms against Jews are as old as basically as old as, you know, time. And we, we see them again and again, both before, during and after these years. So I do think reading a book like this helps put into context the cyclicality of, of hate against the Jewish people. Yes. And it, it, hopefully it helps us to see human beings, the humanity in mm-hmm. all of us, and and why ascribing a, a certain culture to someone is makes someone so horrible. I, how is it really? Do you grapple that with that yourself in writing as to how this kind of uh, discrimination, how the hate can exist uh, and what we can do about that? Gosh, that's a big question. Um, yeah, I, you know, I I truly love humans. You know, uh, I think people are pretty fantastic. I mean, I remember when I was about 14 saying to my grandmother, uh, you know, I said, you know, Nana, I know, and I didn't realize I was quoting Anne Frank. <laughs> I wasn't quoting her. I just, I think I agreed with her. I said, you know, I think, I know people do really bad things and there are some really bad people, but I truly do believe that deep down most people are good. And my Nana looked at me with the most delighted smile on her face. And she said to me, I am delighted that you have lived a life that allows you to think that. And it was both, she truly was delighted, but she was sort of delighted by the fact that I hadn't suffered the way she had and was able to have that experience about people still mm-hmm. and that belief. But I think my job as a writer, and maybe I think our job as a human, because I think writing and humaning are the same thing, mm-hmm. is to pay very close attention and to be sort of lit up by, by life and experiences and to try to remain vulnerable. Um, Unfortunately, when you're vulnerable, you're open to being hurt. But that is sort of, I think, the job of being a writer or an artist of any kind is is remaining open to, to receiving um, beauty and pain. And honestly, I think that, that that is one of the core factors of living a whole life is is being able to keep that channel open at the same time as hopefully protecting yourself in some way. That is beautiful. And I I feel that comes through uh, in the book, certainly with Frederica and also with her grandfather. She was yeah. she seemed so much like him. And, and I'm sure you, his character was presented to you by your grandmother as well. Right. Yes. Yes. Unfortunately, I never got um, I never got the chance to know him, but yeah. he was very much again. Everything is cyclical. My grandmother was my benefactress. She rescued me from an unhealthy family life just the way her grandfather was her benefactor and rescued her from an unstable family life and provided a safe haven and a home and a delight in being a person and a delight in being a reader uh, in the same way that my grandmother did for me. So I very much think that um, the relationship between uh, the character Frederica and her opa is, is, you know, it's based on my relationship with my nana. Uh, who's, you know, it's so funny because she's in both stories, right? She's the kid in the book and she's the caretaker in my life. Yes. Yes. Which is why you needed so much time to really make yes. this authentic. Yeah. Which, yeah. It was, yeah. It was a struggle. <laughs> it's, the struggle evolved into something so beautiful. Uh, hard, 
harsh life, but again, it's it's truth, and that's uh, even though it's fiction. But there, it, the yeah. the thread of th- truth is right there, and that's so critical uh, for us to know and to embrace. And you know, yeah. I was thinking earlier when you were sp- speaking about your nana, how I appreciate that she regarded tr- trusted sharing the story with you. Too much has happened in our lives where where people wanted to shut that out and they didn't they felt they were inflicting something on their families their children if they yeah. shared it and that is oh that is so uh wrong basically wrong not to share that yeah i think trust is such a great word for it it is tr- it, you are trusting someone when you share your vulnerability with them you're trusting them to help you hold it and it is a gift to let other people hear your story. And it's a gift to listen to. Uh, one thing I do, I don't usually, when people say, what do you hope readers take from your book? I usually don't have an answer. I usually say the book is, is the story. I, it's not my business what they take mm-hmm. from it. I hope that they, you know, my job is just to tell a good story. But in this case, I really hope that readers become more curious about their own families and that they ask, I wonder what my parents' life was like. And I wonder what my grandparents' life was like. And I hope they ask more questions. Um, and I hope that if older people, you know, parents and grandparents read my book, I hope it opens them up too and helps them to trust yes. the generations that come after um, and makes them more willing to be vulnerable and to, to share their stories. That is definitely an excellent reason for uh, older adults, for grandparent age uh, folks to do that because uh, you know, we, when we're younger, we aren't like you as a child necessarily interested to ask those stories or maybe it's because they aren't offered to us. But as we mature, we think, what was that? What, uh, what went on? Like my brother doing genealogy research and wondering about right. where is this family? Do it while, while we're here and we can share it. Yeah, I absolutely think so. I think part of it is that sometimes, again, it comes back to vulnerability. I think grown-ups are often, and elders, afraid to be vulnerable. They, they don't want to mm. show their children or grandchildren their weaknesses or their foibles or their mistakes or the things that make them feel shame. And so they present uh, a false front of invulnerability. And that makes it less interesting when you're a kid, because when you're a kid, you're just a raw wound, you know, like everything is scary. The world is overwhelming. Um, And if this person above and before you seems impenetrable, then you don't have a lot of questions. Um, But my Nana was never like that. My grandfather, who I also love dearly, uh, he was a, a Polish Jew, uh, who also had a very interesting story, but I'd never know his story as well because he would only tell me the stories and the parts of his story in which he came off as a hero. Uh, he loved to tell me the stories where he was clever or where he, you know, managed some feat, but it, there was no vulnerability in those stories. There was just um, bra, you know, this, this, you know, this brava, uh, mm-hmm. this, this sense of strength. And it is, again, it's in the vulnerability that we make connections with uh, with humans, but also with characters. And that was one of the struggles in writing the book is trying to allow my character to be hurt. It took me many drafts because terrible things happened to my character in this story. And I was telling them from the sort of removed, distant voice. And then I ultimately realized, well, that's because I don't want to hurt my Nena. You know, I don't want to make her suffer the things that this character has to suffer. Uh, I have to make her vulnerable. And that was one of the major challenges as a writer of this book. Oh, yes. I had not thought of that, but that is critically important. Well, you 
you were able to accomplish that because we certainly go through so many trials uh, with Rika in in yeah. just uh you know well you gave us so, such a big slice of her younger life that we can really um appreciate all the pain that she had to go through thank you yeah it is it's a it's a holocaust story it's a historical novel it's also a love story you know it's a love story mm. between sisters it really is about um this incredible bond between the two sisters, love them or hate them, uh, and also Frederica and her grandfather. And I think that this book ultimately, it's, it's about the great and terrible things that people do in the name of love. And sometimes terrible people do great things in this story. And sometimes great people do terrible things. And sometimes it's hard to tell what's what. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was uh, one of the greatest privileges of, of writing this book is getting to explore um, the murkiness of why we do the things we do and how love can be um, sort of the fuel that lights both great and terrible things. Again, it is such an incredible story, historical fiction that is really so beneficial to us to get a a better understanding of you into what life was like at the time of World War II, the time of the Holocaust, and and so much bloodshed and uh, trying to wipe out an entire race of people. That's exactly exactly what it was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And people have to live in the middle of that. You know, you still get your first period. You still get in a fight with your sister. Uh, you still lose your most precious watch. It's just that these things are happening. Uh, woven through, uh, from our perspective, uh, an almost unimaginable um, time. Yes, and and that and that was great. You know, I had wondered about the title, and we won't reveal mm-hmm. it. You have to read the book to understand yeah. why the title came about. But I thought, wow, very insightful, very informative. So, <laughs> thank you. The title was something I had. Not, that's one thing that didn't change the, through any of the seven drafts. I had the title before I started, and that's not how it always goes with published books. Sometimes you don't have a title until you know the cover art is due, and you have to you have to come up with something. Uh, but sometimes the the title just is just the perfect one, and that this this one was like that. It was a gift. Mm. Well, an incredible gift. Indeed, in all sorts of ways. Quickly, uh, because uh, sadly we're running out of time, but, and we touched a little on book banning, but evidently you are listed as one of the most challenged authors. This is, how do you feel? How, what goes on for you in your life when that's happening? Well, I hate it. Yeah. Uh, I hate that it's happening. I hate that a very small minority of people who want to um, remove voices and make the world smaller, uh, have an outsized influence right now on what's um, going on in school libraries and public libraries across the nation. I get Google alerts basically every day now about one of my books uh, being removed, challenged, called pornographic often, uh, even my picture book, What Riley Wore. Um, so it's it's kind of terrifying. As someone who's who knows what it happens when your name starts getting put on lists. Uh, it is terrifying, and honestly, to see my name being added to these lists. There was one uh, challenge that I saw. It was about one of my middle grade novels. It's inoffensive in every way. I, think, I don't think any of these books should be removed, uh, by the way, but this book was you know, kind of uh, 
bizarre that it was even being challenged. But at the end, the note said, the book is not problematic, but the author is problematic. And so now my books are being removed and challenged because my name is on the front of them. So this is why we can't give an inch to these absolute haters of intellectual freedom because they don't, it's not about the book. It's about the identities. It's about making the world smaller. It's about a false belief that things were better before when fewer people had uh, a voice. And it, honestly, what it does is it makes me louder uh, and want to take up more space. Absolutely so. And, and we have to rally together to push back yeah. against this. Yes, absolutely. absolutely. People need to show up at school board meetings. They need to show up at local, small, um, you know, votes, uh, because these are the people that get to make decisions on the micro level that radio outward to the macro level. So we definitely need to pay attention to what's going on in our own communities. Well, another piece of life in the story that is really important to have you share. So thank you for that, Ilana. Uh, that's really good thank to you. know so that we can all, as I say, rally rally round and push back. Well, absolutely. I am so grateful that we had this time that's gone by too quickly to talk about the blood years and your experience. I am, again, grateful we, the book is available, and it is uh, available at yes. all of our favorite book sources, right? Yes. Any way you want to buy it, it is available to you. It's also an audio book. The reader is incredible. Uh, Carlotta Brenton, um, is fantastic, and I'm thrilled with the audiobook as well. So, yes, however you like to uh, buy and support books, um, I'll thank you in advance for, um, for making you know the blood years part of your library. Lovely. And to follow you and know what you are up to, how do we do yeah, that? So I'm on Instagram and Twitter at, at Alana K. Arnold. Uh, I have a website, alanakarnold.com. And, uh, yeah, I'm... I'm on the internet, so you're welcome to come and find me if you would like to tell me about your experience with this book or any of my books. Wonderful. Well, I so appreciate you. I appreciate your writing, your deep dedication to to life, to the planet, to people as a whole, and, and to peace. So thank you so greatly for your time with us today. And thank you again for taking the time to read my book and to host me on your show. I, I really appreciate it. Well, you're so welcome. That brings us to the end of a very full hour of Inspirational Women with Ilana K. Arnold and Sunday Morning Magazine with Patrick Smithick. I'm Kate Daniels, your host, and I greatly appreciate your sharing this hour with me and these special guests. For details you might have missed or information you'd like to know, please just send me an email, kated at warm1069.com, and I will get right back to you. Also, if you'd like to listen again or share these important stories with your family and friends, find the podcast on our Warm 106.9 webpage. Just click on the podcast tab, then either of the show names, and then look for the guest names. I now wish you and your family a day of compassion and care for those close to you and far from you, and have it ripple out into the community and the world. Have a week of the same, and then please plan to join me again next weekend for another hour of Sunday Morning Magazine and Inspirational Women on Warm 106.9. Good morning.